0: So good to see you guys and to worship with my church family. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors on the staff, and I'm wearing a tie. Something is happening, right? You're like, what is up with this guy? There, that's going to be interesting. So, um, we're we're doing something called Boundless, and Boundless is an initiative, kind of a, a push, uh, uh, just a vision that God is giving to us, and uh, we're stepping into some pretty big things, and that is we're, we're building a, a permanent sanctuary, we're remodeling kids space, and we're increasing what we do in the area of missions, and so it's a two-year initiative, and we're at the halfway point, so uh, this is end of year one of that big push, and uh, we're calling this halftime, and so next week when we get together, we're going to have an opportunity to make commitments once again. We did it last year, we're going to do it again this year. For some of you, uh, it's just what you did before, kind of a recommitment and a moment of us moving forward and turning in commitment cards. For some of you, it will be the very first time that you've had the opportunity to do something like that, but we want to invite you to take part. So uh, if you fill those out at home, you can bring them with you next week if you like. Otherwise, we'll have them on, on the seats in here as well, and we'll, we'll talk more about that next week. I, I believe it's going to be a great moment for all of us. Now, now Boundless, it's really a a discipleship initiative. It's it's not about money. Uh, Stewardship is discipleship because stewardship, money, finances, resources, material things, it's so close to our heart. Uh, And it's just one of those barometers of how much of the Lord we have and how much of us he has in our lives. And so for that reason, I I love to talk about resources and money and what God has provided for us. And, And that's really what this is. It's an opportunity to grow in discipleship. And and we just believe at this church that God is calling us to something more than just creating some kind of museum in here where nothing ever changes or some kind of monument with a building. We believe that God is calling us to be a movement, that we would be a group of people who are actively involved in spreading the grace and love of Jesus Christ right here in our communities and around the globe as well. And so in order for something like that to happen, not to make a monument and not to make a museum, but to be a part of a movement, that involves people. It involves people getting involved in the game, we're calling this halftime, but we want everybody to get in the game. And so, rather than just sitting and spectating and watching and you know cheering others on, we want everybody to hit the court, everybody to be involved. So, if we're going to make it across the finish line, it's going to take all of us, listening to God, praying to God, listening to him, and then responding in faith. And that's, that's what we have the opportunity to do. And again, it's gonna take all of us. Now, uh, we have all of this kind of sports metaphor that we're talking about. Um, I don't know if you've ever played on a, a sports team where you had a ball hog. Um, some of you, you have. Uh, in college, I played point guard. I was a point guard in college. Now, before you get like, ooh, that's impressive, just realize it was a small Christian college in the middle of nowhere, right? I mean, so it's just like, out there in western Kansas, uh, if you could stand upright, you could make the team, all right? So let's just be, let's just be honest with what's going on there. Uh, now, we played other Christian colleges in other states, but uh, it, it was pretty easy to make the team. But every now and then, uh, you'd have some people come on the team who were really good, who would transfer in. And we had a guy show up on the team, and he was excellent. Like, he was a great shooter. He was, he was fantastic. And when you get those people who wind up in western Kansas at a small college, you look at them kind of sideways like, what are you doing here? Are you wanted for murder? I mean, what? are you hiding? Why are you here? This guy was good. But here's the deal. I knew when I brought the ball down the court and I threw it to that guy, nobody on the team was ever going to touch the ball again. That was it. This guy was going to shoot the ball even if somebody was open underneath the bucket. Why'd he do that? Well, he knew he was the best shooter. But if you've ever been on a team with a ball hog, the rest of the team kind of quits playing. You let down. Well, I'm not needed. He's, he's doing the show here. It's all him. But in order for a team to win, you have to play as a team. Our record showed that. You've got to play together. Again, if we're going to make make it across the finish line, if we're going to get to the dream and the vision, the goal that God has given to us to get beyond ourselves and continue to make an impact for the gospel of Jesus, it takes all of us. We can't just spectate. So your Needed, you're a part of this. And so for that guy who's on the team and he's the ball hog and doing his thing, why did he do that? Well, he did it because he figured he was the best player, nobody could play as good as he could, and so that belief affected how he played. Now, I'm driving to a principle here, and this is the principle. Your decisions are based and determined by your beliefs. Your decisions are determined by your beliefs. This guy believed he was the best player. Nobody else could do it, so he wouldn't throw the ball. It affected the way that he played. Your decisions have been determined by what you believe. You you have certain beliefs. You you believe certain things about money. You have beliefs about uh, parenting, uh, about your moral life, about who God is. And those beliefs then affect your decision and the outcomes that you have in your life. So if you wanna have different outcomes and wind up in a different place, you're gonna have to make different decisions based on thinking, based on your beliefs because that's where it begins. And now fortunately, God has given us a way to go ahead and and reshape our minds and to change our thinking. And we're gonna find that in Romans chapter 12, verse two. And we're gonna be in Romans 12 just for a second and then we're gonna go into the Old Testament. Here's, Here's what it says in Romans 12, verse two. God says don't be conformed to this world. So so there's a way of thinking in this world, like the the culture has a way of thinking and their thinking then determines the outcomes and the place that they wind up in their lives. And so if you want what the rest of the culture is doing and getting in their life, just follow the culture. Just have their thought and their beliefs and then your decisions will be like the rest of the culture. And the thing that we know that Jesus says about this world in in, uh, Matthew chapter 7, he says broad is the road that leads to destruction and narrow is the road that leads to life. And the world is on a great big broad road with its beliefs and its worldview, and it's going to a place of destruction. If that's what you want, just go ahead and think what the rest of the world thinks. If you'd like to follow the narrow road and think differently, you need to have the mind of Christ. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable. So we've got to renew our minds. We've got to have the mind of Christ in us. And when you have the mind of Christ and you begin to think his thoughts and live like he would live, that is always, always, always gonna take your feet to a preferred destination because you have a heavenly father who loves you and wants to point out the way. His son Jesus is the way. And when you follow him and think his thoughts and live like him, That's a preferred destination. So with all that in mind, your decisions are based on your beliefs and we are to have the mind of Christ, I want to talk to you today about how you can get in the game with your finances. Now before you check me out and you realize, okay, now I know why he's wearing the tie. He's talking about money. Before you check out on me and you start, you know, doing whatever you're doing, thinking different things and messing with your phone, I'm not talking about giving today, Ah, so you can relax, you can, you can breathe deep. In fact, if you will apply the thought and principle that we're talking about today, you won't have less money, you'll have more money. you oh, that's what I thought would happen, right? Like, you have my attention. Let us pay attention to what this babbler is saying. So, all right, listen in, because I want the best for you. God wants the best for you. He is interested in you understanding his heart and his mind when it comes to money, And so every decision that you make is based and determined on your beliefs. Well, every financial decision that you make is based and determined on your financial beliefs. You have certain beliefs about finances when it comes to debt and investing and spending and saving and purchasing. And so if I were to come up to to you and I were to ask, what are your deeply held beliefs about finances? And you said, "Uh, I should have more. If you don't know what your deeply held beliefs are... Most likely what's gonna happen in your life, you're going to end up in a destination and a place that you don't want to be, that you prefer not to be in. And the great thing, again, about the Bible is that it is filled with wisdom from God, filled with wisdom from our Heavenly Father. So today, we're gonna to go into the Old Testament to First Chronicles, First Chronicles chapter 29. And again, as, as you turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 29, as you pull it up on your iPad or your phone. As we think about this, I just want to remind you that you have a heavenly Father who loves you, that there is a path and a road to walk in life, with all of life, and it includes your finances. And so I have no problem standing up here and talking about finances, and so if you're feeling kind of, ooh, I feel bad for the pastor, don't feel bad for me, because I love doing it. And the reason I love doing it, I love talking to you about it, is because I have seen the way that God has changed my own heart in my own life when it comes to the attitude that I have about finances and what he's doing in my life. And so I, I want for you what I've experienced, and so, man, I'm just pumped when I talk about this. The only tension I feel, is when you have pushback. So just know you're hearing from a person who's not looking to get anything from you. I want something for you. So we can just kind of let let, you know, let it let the air out of like this balloon of tension so we can just relax. God has something to say to each of us. Now, as you're turning there to 1 Chronicles 29, let me, let me set this up. So God chose a nation. There's all kinds of nations on the earth. He chose a nation, the nation of Israel. He chose his people. And then out of those people, out of the nation of Israel, they got what they wanted one time, and they got a king. And God chose them a king. Does anybody remember the name of the first king of Israel? King Saul. King Saul. King Saul wasn't all that great. So God got rid of him. And he had another king that followed him. The second king of Israel, his name is King David. Yes, King David. God chose King David to lead That nation. And the God, and the Lord was just kind of prospering the nation, and things were going well under his reign. And they're in the city of Jerusalem. And as they're in the city of Jerusalem, they're building the city and building homes. And David has a great big palace. And there in Jerusalem is this thing called a tabernacle. And the tabernacle's a tent. The tabernacle is what they used as they, they went throughout uh, the, the wilderness as they were traveling. It's the place where they would worship. And out there in Jerusalem, in the tabernacle, in this tent, on the inside was the Ark of the Covenant. And And inside of the Ark of the Covenant, among other things, was the Ten Commandments. And so this would be the place where the presence of God rested, all right? So uh, all that's going on, David, one day, he he gets up and he's looking out the window of his palace. And he's thinking, wow, God, here I am. I live in this beautiful palace, but you're out there living in a tent. That's not really where God lived, but that was kind of the center of their worship. And he's thinking, we got to get God... Out of the tent. And so he starts thinking, you know what we need to do? We need to build our one true God, a temple. All the other nations around us, they got their temples to these false gods. We need to make a temple to the one true God. And then David realized, man, this is gonna cost a lot of money. So he organizes like this capital campaign and he calls it boundless. (laughs) It's not not true. (laughs) he He didn't do that. But he did realize it was gonna cost a whole bunch of money. So he starts making all of these plans and all of these preparations to build God, the one true God, this beautiful temple. And, And then God says, hey David, you can't build me a temple. David, you're a warrior king. You've got blood on your hands. I don't want you to build my temple. I want your son Solomon to build the temple. And instead of getting all disgruntled and upset, David said, no problem. Even though I will never see the temple, I'm gonna spend the rest of my life making preparations so that my son Solomon can build your temple. And that's exactly what happened. Solomon built the temple of God. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, David talks about a truth that if we will begin to understand this and conceptualize it, have this belief, it will change the way that we look at everything financial. 1 Chronicles chapter 29 David is speaking, so I've provided for the house of my God, so far as I was able, the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, and the bronze for the things of bronze, and the iron for the things of, get the hint, iron, yeah, and the wood for the things of wood. Besides great quantities of onyx and stones for setting, antimony, colored stones, all sorts of precious stones and marble. Now, if you can just picture this temple they're making. It's going to be blinged out. It is going to be really, really nice with all of these different stones, all of this gold and all of this silver. They're saying we've got one true God. He is beautiful and glorious and so we need a space that represents who our God is. And that used to be the way that the people of God would build these structures. I mean, you can go to other, other countries, other nations, and you see these just beautiful, grand structures, but something has kind of happened uh, to, to our creativity and our mind. When it comes to building spaces for God, and it, you know, we we kind of just make it a bit more simple, but I I think we kind of miss out on that creative element of, of making spaces that are beautiful, that represent the creativity of our God. And it goes on, he says, moreover, in addition to all that I have provided, gold, silver, wood, iron, all these beautiful stones, to all that I have provided for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own of gold and silver. And because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God. So David's saying, uh, I'm reaching over here into my great big old pile of gold and silver that I have as king of this nation. And not only am I going to give most of that, I'm going to reach over into my own pile of gold and silver. I'm dipping into my own principle to give to this because this is a big deal. And then he says, he asks this question, Who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord? David says, who wants to join me? David is speaking on, on behalf of God in this movement that he is asking them to do and he is asking for others to take part in resourcing this great project that the people are doing for the one true God. So every now and then a leader has to stand up and say, I'm, I'm in, who will follow? Who will join in this endeavor? And then it says the leaders of father's houses made their free will offerings, as did also the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, and the officers over the king's work. So everybody's in on this. Let's get God out of the tent. Let's build this temple. Let's do this. And all the leaders went first which is what we did with Boundless. Over a year ago, uh, the pastors, the staff, the elders, we said, we believe God's calling us to do this, but we're in first, we'll sacrifice first, we're not gonna ask you to do anything that we're not willing to do, that's what's going on here. Then the people rejoiced, because they had given willingly. So all the people watched the leaders give willingly, and everybody's like, that's amazing, that's fantastic. For with a whole heart, and we're all about being wholehearted around here, for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord, David the king also rejoiced greatly. So because everybody's getting involved in this generosity, David's heart begins to just swell. And what happens as a result of all of the generosity that he sees happening, man, he just begins to praise God. And he says this, and he prays this out loud. Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. So he's not saying look at us Blessed are all you individuals who've given generously to this. No, blessed are you. God, the attention's not on us, not on man, it's all on you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. So everything that we could ever see with our eyes, touch, with our hands, every single thing is God's. He goes on, both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. And in your hand are power and might. And in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. In other words, God, you own it all. And you distribute to whomever, whenever, however you want. He goes on and he says, And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I? And what is my people? That we should be able thus to offer willingly. For all things come from you and of your own have we given to you. What is he saying? He's saying, God, we are just simply conduits of your great blessing. We are, we are not owners, you are. We are only returning to you. That which came from your own hand. We are simply managers and we have been chosen by You, God, how amazing that you would choose us to be in this nation. God, how blessed are we that you would pour resources into our laps. God, for such a time as this, you have looked in our direction and blessed us in such a way that we get to be a part of your kingdom and what you are doing in this moment. God, this is unbelievable. God, you are amazing and the reason that David gets excited is because he understands what we so often forget God owns it all God owns everything and that belief will determine your decisions either you're the owner or God's the owner either you're the owner or the manager And David understands the truth that everything under the heavens, everything on this earth, is God's. Every decision that you make is based on your deeply held beliefs. You are a manager. Now, this isn't a new concept for us. We grow up understanding this concept. Uh, Anybody else blessed like I was to have their own bedroom growing up? Didn't have to share the bedroom with anybody else? Anybody? Sorry for the rest of you. Uh, I had my own room. Uh, I, I had this opportunity to make a little sign. Don't know if some of you did this. I made a little sign. Chris's room, stay out, exclamation mark. So that's, that's how I rolled in my room, right? It's my room. Uh, my parents would say, go to your room. That's right, I'm going to my room. And then every now and then I would say, hey, why are grandpa and grandma staying in my room? I mean, why was it that my mom and dad could tell me, go clean up your room? If it's my room, shouldn't I be making all the decisions? Well, the truth is, not my room. I just managed the room. I didn't own it. I was managing that space. Same thing with God. God, my money. God says, not your money, (laughs) my money. Every single year, Marion County reminds me that's not my property. I'm, I'm, I'm Dave Ramsey debt-free. I don't have a mortgage. But every single year, I am reminded I still owe a debt. I'm not an owner. Like if you think you own your property, stop paying your property taxes and we'll see who really owns your property. And Marion County can think all they want that they own that property as well, but they're just managing it. There was somebody here before them. There'll be somebody here after them. And whenever that person who's ever done managing it, it'll be passed on. And whenever they're gone, eventually it goes back to who? God. We're all just managers. We don't own anything. We have all kinds of things that we owe around us. We are just holding temporarily onto stuff. I mean, you've got an attic full of stuff, you've got a garage full of stuff, you've got like a, a rental space full of stuff, and that stuff, you don't own it. As soon as you're gone, your greedy little kids are gonna get it, they're gonna auction it off, they're gonna give it to others, and somebody else is gonna get your junk. And that junk becomes somebody else's junk. We don't own anything. Yet when it comes to this God owns everything, we get all freaked out and all worried, and we think, no, it's ours, but God is saying, uh-uh. You are here for a blip, and you're just managing. <laughs> you're managing because I own and not only that, God determines who gets what. And He's not, like, it's not always fair, right? I mean, there, there are some, I look at some wealthy people sometimes and I think, how did that happen? How did they get all that money? That's not fair. They don't have any common sense. Some people are better looking, not fair. Some people are smarter, not fair. Some people are taller. It is not fair that I'm taller than Micaiah Cochlear, our worship leader. (laughs) And it is really not fair that I'm shorter than Pastor Andy. I mean, these things are not fair. But God's not even pretending to be fair. God's like, I own everything, it's mine, so I get to choose who gets what, when they get it, how they get it. He is the one who is in charge because God's all about God, and God does as he sees fit with his stuff. And if you and I can get to this base of belief of understanding, man, I'm, I'm just managing the owner's stuff, there's a whole bunch of blessing that comes as a result of that. One of the things that happens is you stop feeling guilty. For some of you in the room, you've been blessed with a whole lot, and you feel guilt. You feel guilty about the things that God has given to you. But if you will just turn all of that over to him, you don't have to feel guilty any longer. The reason that you feel guilt is because you think that it's yours. You think you own it. Imagine you're a a money manager. If you're a money manager and you're managing somebody else's money, you don't feel guilty with the millions of dollars that you're managing from all of these different places. You don't feel guilty because it's not yours. You feel responsible. So if you turn over control of everything in your life back to God who owns everything anyway, it's not guilt, it's just a sense of, man. (laughs) I'm responsible for all this that he's put on loan to me. And when you understand that you have been chosen to be blessed financially, you're not gonna feel guilty, you're gonna feel responsible. You're gonna be like David and these people that are saying, I cannot believe that God would choose us to put into our hands these resources for this time. I mean, when the person with a little and the person with a lot begins to understand that their money isn't their money, it belongs to God, what begins to happen is they don't feel guilt. They feel responsible. And when you feel responsible, you make better choices. And when you make better choices, you've got more money. You don't have to feel guilty. And once again, God distributes to whomever He wants some a little, some a lot. And the question is not how much money do you have? The question is what are you going to do with the owner's resources? So it's not about guilt any longer. Guilt leads, actually, we can walk away from that because it's God's. We move towards gratitude and then towards responsibility and making better choices. And we have more money. Guilt's gone. We have more money. There's one more thing, kind of a benefit that happens. Your wanter decreases. When you understand that God owns everything, that wanter, that thing on the inside of you that says, I want, I want, I want, that begins to decrease. And you start to get content but all of us have a wanter. We go into the mall or we go into the store, we don't do that a whole lot anymore, but uh, you get online and you're on Amazon and you're looking at the daily deals and whatever it is, I want, I want, I want, let's put that in the cart. Uh, I saw somebody else driving that vehicle, I want that vehicle, I saw those clothes, I want that clothes, and I'm not gonna be happy until I get those things. All of us have a wanter, but what we really long for is contentment. Wouldn't it be nice to be content? Imagine I had a, a, a special button that you could push, and if you push the button, you would finally be content. If you could just push the button. Wouldn't you want to push the button? Like, please, yes, I don't wanna have this tension anymore. I would just like some contentment in my life. Wouldn't you like to be content? Some of you, you'd drag your wives up here. Push the button. You bring your kids. Push the button. I want a pony. Push the button. Let's get content. And when you begin to understand that God owns everything, the guilt goes away. You are more responsible, making better choices, have more money, and you finally find contentment. And I want that for you. So we're gonna play a game, all right? Uh, It's not like a, a sports game. We want you to get in the game. This is the stewardship game. This is the management game. So I want you to, first of all, understand everything has come from God. He's made everything. It's all his, all of the money, all of the resources, your house, your car, every bit All his. Now when you realize and have that belief that everything is his, next thing I want you to do is pray. You're in church, what else would the pastor ask? Pray. Ask the owner, God, what do you want me to do with your stuff? And if your first thought is I don't wanna do that because God might ask me to give it all away. If that's your first thought, you've learned something new about yourself. You learned a new belief. You don't trust God. You think you're the owner. And you're responsible for everything. You, you don't understand your father's heart. You think he's against you. You think that he's gonna come along, he's gonna say, well, just give everything away and I want you to be destitute and I want you to live on the street and not have anything to eat and give everything away. I'd just like you know, not to have anything. You don't understand that your heavenly father will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. He's not against you. And again, this is kind of the logic. If there's a God, so for some of you, you're still kind of questioning that. If there is a God, would he really need to wait for your permission to take his money back? He's God. He made the universe. He's in heaven going like, I'm all powerful. I spoke the world into existence. I manage everything. But man, that Billy Bob, he's really strong. He won't let go of his money. He doesn't have to wait. It's his money. So I want you to pray. God what do you want me to do with your stuff? And then the second thing that I would encourage you to do is this, keep track, keep track. Just keep track. You're gonna pray and you're gonna keep track. Uh, Some of you already do this, you you do that dreaded Dave Ramsey thing where you budget. Uh, Some of you do it on a computer. some of you do it on paper. Uh, But I want you to keep track for one week where your spending goes. Uh, I've done this in my own life and I've done it now for 20 years. 20 years ago, uh, I was in the ministry, and I I was where some of you are. I thought everything was mine, and so I was doing all of my spending on me. I came first, and as a result of my belief that everything that came in was mine, I cheated God all the time, and what ended up happening was I, I lived on 110%, 120%, and I went further into debt, and I had credit cards, but I was having stuff that I wanted. And I felt all of this debt, I felt all of this pressure because I thought it was mine. So what I began to do, I started to get a new mindset and realize, wait a minute, I am not managing God's resources properly. So uh, this paper's from the year 2000, a little yellow now, 20 years later. And I have papers from every month and every year since then. But since this moment, God has always trusted me with more. I never looked back from this first line: "From that moment on, over the next 20 years, God has made sure to meet all of my needs and then to trust me with more, when I began to realize all this stuff, the paycheck, the investments, the house, the cars, his, not mine. So I just want to challenge you, for one week, just record where stuffs go, where stuff goes. Just take, take the receipt, write it down. You don't even have to total it. Just write it down. Just track. Like if you were a money manager, right, and you come into your money manager and you say to the money manager, um, I would, I'd like to see this quarterly statement. And they said, uh, I don't have a quarterly statement for you. And you were to ask the money manager, okay, well, then where did my money go? Oh, let me see. Uh, where did your money go? If you go to a money manager, they're going to know. Where the money went. So doesn't it just make sense? If the owner moves in your direction and wants to trust you with more, wouldn't you want to be able to say, God, here's where the money went. Here's what happened. So we're going to pray, and we're going to keep track. Again, no total, just where the money go. If you're managing somebody else's money, they're going to want to know. Just save the receipt and write it down. Some of you are saying, man, that just seems like a great big pain in the neck. If that's the way that you think, then I would suggest you pray like this. God, I don't want to manage your resources. Take it all back. This is a lot better way to play. For one week, if you just pray, God, I'm going to give you everything. God, don't get excited. It's just one week, and then I'm taking it all back. But this week, this week, if you would pray, God, everything has come from you. Everything is yours, and I want to manage it well for one week, and watch what happens. God, this house, it's yours. This car, yours. Clothes, yours. Paycheck, yours. God, I'm yours. Would you stand as we pray? Uh, Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for... um, what happens in our minds when we begin to move in the direction of thinking about you and how you've called us to live? I thank you, Father, that I've seen that in my own life, not, not because of me, in spite of me. Thank you for moving in my direction. And I've seen in so many others, too, who begin to, to let go of feeling as though they must have everything, own everything, but realize that they're managing what you've placed into their hands. Father, I thank you that you've chosen us to live in this nation, to be blessed by you, that who are we? Who am I that you would trust me with these riches? Thank you, Father. Move us in a direction closer to your heart. As we go forward in this week trusting you, I pray, Lord, that you would begin to reveal yourself to my friends in this room. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Once again, thanks for listening.